Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Today is Thursday, October 1st, 2020. On this day in 1982, 35-year-old Paula Prince was found dead in her home in Chicago, Illinois. The cause? Cyanide-laced Tylenol capsules. Paula's death made her the seventh victim of the Tylenol murderer, a killer whose crime would forever change the way medication was packaged. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering a slew of senseless poisonings, which were all tied to the mundane, over-the-counter headache remedy, Tylenol. Let's go back to Chicago, Illinois on the morning of October 1st, 1982. As she walked into the arrivals terminal of O'Hare Airport, 35-year-old Paula Prince was exhausted. A veteran United Airlines flight attendant, Paula was probably used to -to back-to-back flights and interminable layovers, but that didn't mean she wasn't relieved to be home. Feeling the beginnings of a migraine, Paula stopped at a Walgreens near the airport. There, an ATM surveillance camera captured her purchasing a bottle of extra-strength Tylenol. Nothing out of the ordinary. No one would have thought to give the tired woman with the painkillers in her cart a second glance. And yet, just a few hours later, Paula Prince lay dead on her bathroom floor. As for the bottle of Tylenol, it sat open on her counter, just a couple pills lighter. It took the Chicago police some time to make the connection, but Paula's death was tied to that of a seventh grade girl who had passed just three days earlier. On September 29, 1982, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman woke up feeling awful in Elk Grove Village just outside Chicago. She had a runny nose, a sore throat, and a full day of school ahead of her, so her parents gave her one extra-strength Tylenol. Mary was dead by 7 a.m. In another suburb of Chicago, a similarly tragic scene was playing out. Arlington Heights resident Adam Janis, a postal worker and father of two, woke up with minor chest pains. Instead of trudging into work, Adam went to pick up some extra-strength Tylenol from the corner store. On returning home, he decided to get back into bed. But first, Adam popped a couple capsules of the -the over-the-counter medication. The 27-year-old barely made it past the threshold of his bedroom before he collapsed. A few hours later, at the Northwest Community Hospital, Adam was pronounced dead. His family was stunned and terrified. They didn't understand what could possibly make a young man die so suddenly. Trying to process their grief, several of Adam's extended family gathered inside his home. 
It wasn't long before the mental strain caused Adam's brother, Stanley, and his wife, Teresa, to develop headaches. After some digging, Teresa unearthed the Tylenol Adam had purchased hours earlier. She handed two pills to her husband and swallowed two herself. Just moments later, the husband and wife duo collapsed. One untimely death in the family was an unforeseen tragedy. Three untimely deaths meant that something very horrible was at play. At first, Dr. Thomas Kim, the chief of critical care at Northwest Community Hospital, thought there might have been a carbon monoxide leak in the Janus home, so he ordered the rest of the family to be brought into the hospital. Fearing the worst, all of them were given their last rites, and then they didn't die. That ruled out carbon monoxide and left Dr. Kim at a loss. He had no idea what was behind the bizarre deaths, so longtime nurse Helen Jensen kicked into gear. Helen began asking all the remaining Janus family members a slew of incessant questions. Her initiative was likely why the Chicago police requested that she accompany them to the Janus home to help search for any relevant evidence. There, Helen discovered the bottle of Tylenol. She did the math. There were six pills missing, three people dead, and Helen didn't need to ask any more questions. She knew the answer. Back at the hospital, Helen told investigators and Dr. Kim that the Tylenol capsules were the smoking gun. They had to be the cause of death. She was sure of it. Helen was right. Hours later, when the Tylenol was finally inspected, they smelled like almonds, a key sign that the pills were laced with cyanide. Coming up, the search for the Tylenol killer. Hi listeners, I'm so excited to introduce you to the newest Spotify original from Parcast called Blind Dating. Hosted by YouTuber Tara Michelle, Blind Dating is a fun twist on a classic setup. Strangers are introduced, conversation commences, and sparks either fly or fizzle. But here's the catch. Our hopeful singles have to choose their match before ever seeing their face. And once they've picked their potential date, we turn the cameras on, and then it's either butterflies or goodbyes. Blind Dating airs weekly with new episodes every Wednesday. You can find and follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now back to the story. In early October 1982, a slew of people began dropping dead after ingesting the innocuous over-the-counter pill Tylenol. Unfortunately, seven victims died before the police finally made the connection. However, once they did, they quickly got into contact with upper-level executives at Johnson & Johnson, the pharmaceutical company that produced the drugs. 
Johnson & Johnson determined that the Tylenol bottles were tampered with after leaving their facility and being stocked on grocery store shelves. As a result, they had no idea who poisoned the pills or how many bottles had been interfered with. At any moment, in any home across Chicago, a person suffering from a cold, headache, or muscle aches could ingest an everyday pill and end up dead. Desperate to stop such horror from playing out, the Chicago police issued a mass warning to the entire city, entreating them not to take any Tylenol until further notice. As for Johnson & Johnson, the company recalled 31 million bottles of the drug, yanking them off of the shelves en masse. But while this prevented more people from dying, it did nothing to expose the killer. That meant that the person who saw fit to poison seven strangers at random was still at large, and the police had no idea how to begin tracking them down. Then they received their first break. Sometime after Paula Prince's death, executives at Johnson & Johnson got a threatening letter. In it, the anonymous writer promised to stop the poisonings if the company transferred $1 million to a specific bank account. After a frantic investigation, the Chicago police were able to trace the letter back to a man named James W. Lewis. However, though Lewis was ultimately convicted of attempted extortion, federal investigators discovered that he had no links to the Tylenol murders. He was just an opportunist seeking to take advantage of a horrific tragedy. The James Lewis dead end was a sign of things to come. To this day, the Tylenol murderer has never been apprehended. However, the senseless deaths of seven innocent victims did bring about one important change. In 1982, when the murders took place, most over-the-counter medicine didn't feature tamper-proof sealing. In the aftermath of the slayings, Johnson & Johnson introduced foil seals and other packaging methods to protect their products. Measures like these would make it immediately clear to consumers if their medication had been interfered with. Fortunately, other pharmaceutical companies quickly followed suit. In 1983, further improving protections, the U.S. Congress passed a measure called the Tylenol Bill. The new law made it a federal crime to tamper with any consumer products. None of these developments can ever undo the tragic events of 1982. However, they'll hopefully result in a safer world for all future consumers of over-the-counter medication. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories at the intersection of medicine and crime, check out ParCast Original Medical Murders. Today in True Crime is a ParCast Original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. 
We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Abiyageli Adimegu, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Remember to follow Blind Dating for a Dash of Romance and Rejection. YouTuber Tara Michelle hosts, and she's thrilled to help hopeful singles meet their match once they've survived the hot seat. Follow Blind Dating free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.